Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. America and happy Tuesday. Yes, it's a different America today. There's no doubt when you woke up this morning, America is not the same that it was when it got to work yesterday morning. Why? Because for the first time in our history, the FBI, judge's permission, Justice Department's backing, obtained a warrant and raided the home and office at Mar-a-Lago for former President Donald Trump. It's a threshold that's never been crossed before in American history. A lot of facts are not in evidence yet. We don't know the exact reasons for the motivation, the urgency, the need for a raid versus uh, dropping a grand jury subpoena. We've talked to all the legal experts today. We've got great insights from people like Alan Dershowitz and Jonathan Turley who are raising grave questions about the FBI's conduct here. But we do know this. We do know that what the FBI agents were looking for were documents, possibly classified documents that the National Archives believe belong in their collections, presidential records collections. We do know that the way the FBI handled this instance with Donald Trump is a vast departure from the way they handled a similar circumstance with Hillary Clinton 70 years ago this summer. It was in the summer of 2015 when I broke the story at the Washington Times that the FBI, in concert with the State Department Inspector General and the Intelligence Committee Inspector General, was investigating Hillary Clinton for having classified emails on her private email server at her home in Chappaqua, New York. Now, let's go back to my reporting back then. What did we know? The FBI didn't raid Hillary Clinton's home. They didn't even demand the documents back. You know what they did? They allowed her lawyer, David Kendall, to put them on a thumb drive and keep them for a very long period of time in a safe in his office. What a difference. No matter what else comes to this, no matter what the reasons are, what the dynamics are, there is a disparate treatment that is going to be readily apparent to the American public on how Hillary Clinton got treated versus how Donald Trump got treated. And that is a disparate treatment that has played out over the last six years through all the different things. The FBI lied to the FISA court. The FBI manufactured or altered documents to deceive the FISA court. The FBI took evidence from Democrats, tried to pretend it wasn't from Democrats, tried to pretend it was credible when their own intelligence analysts said it was incredible. It was garbage. And they sustained an investigation, not for one month, two months, three months, but for nearly three years, dirtying up President Trump's first two years in office and the end of his campaign. These disparate treatments are going to be irrefutable no matter what the final facts are. Now, a lot of new information is going to come to pass. We're going to learn a lot more over the next two weeks. There'll be search warrant returns released by the judge, most likely. I'm sure we'll hear something from the Justice Department. There'll be some claims and some counterclaims. The president may go in and take legal action in the courts. But one thing will remain true even after we get all the facts. There was a difference in the way Donald Trump was treated in this claim, the way Mrs. Clinton was treated in her same circumstance, questions about classified government documents 
That is a theme, a record of governance that we now have a long body to judge from. And it's going to be why millions of Americans continue to distrust the FBI. There are a lot of good people in the FBI. The FBI does a lot of good work. It's Washington-based investigations, however, have caused this upset stomach in many Americans. They just see a partisanship, a political nature to these investigations that troubles folks. And I think at the end of the day, the record will speak for itself. We will get the facts like we got the facts on Russia collusion in Ukraine and Lafayette Square and Russian bounties and all the other claims. We will get to the bottom of it. Now, When you ask yourself, what's motivating this? At least the people who have in the past gone to the FBI to sick the FBI on President Trump, people like Hillary Clinton, her lawyers, people like Perkins Coie or the former Perkins Coie lawyer, Mark Elias. Mark Elias said last night, he thinks this is the episode that will nullify the president from being eligible to run again in 2024. The Democrats' motives are out in open nullification of Donald Trump's future candidacy, disqualifying him from running. That's not my word. Those are the words they are using. Eric Holder and Mark Elias and all the people who've been around the constant effort to attack Donald Trump. So we know what a motive is by the people around them. We know in some instances, those Democrats have been the source of information that got fed to the FBI that drove FBI decisions. We don't know yet here what's driving this decision But we at least know the motive of some people on this stage, and it should trouble us all. And the question now is, did the FBI act appropriately or did they act excessively? Early legal analysts like Alan Dershowitz, who I talked to just a little bit ago, Jonathan Turley, raising serious concerns up and down the Congress, Republicans in all bodies of the Congress, seriously concerned about this. We're going to get you the facts so you can make up your own mind We will get those facts. It may take a few days. It'll be frustrating, but we will get those facts and we will be able to make a better judgment about whether what the FBI did was wrong, whether it was right, whether President Trump has culpability or not, whether the parallels with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are now similar or different. We'll get all those things. But one thing is certain, no matter what you take from this conversation, America on this Tuesday, August 9th, is different than the America that we woke up to yesterday because of this raid. Seeing the current president's administration unleash the power of the FBI on his potentially future opponent in the 2024 election hasn't been seen before in the history of this country. And I think that is something that we'll all be grappling with for the next several days and weeks, if not months. It may be something that only an election can solve at the end of the day. All right, we've got a great show for you today. We're gonna bounce around the globe. We're gonna start in Israel with our good friend, Ambassador Michael Oren, the former Israeli ambassador to the United States. We're going to talk about Israeli reaction or worldwide reaction to what happened at President Trump's compound yesterday. But we're also going to dig into what's going on on the ground in Israel, the strife between the Israelis in Gaza with the Iranian-backed Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Important moments here. The view of the United States on the global stage. Will Bibi Netanyahu make a comeback? We're going to cover all that. And then I'm going to flip over to Michigan, where one of the candidates who the Republicans have the greatest hope in, former Army veteran, former combat pilot, John James, is vying for the 10th congressional seat in Michigan, a newly drawn district that includes a very influential Macomb County in Michigan. Republicans are very excited and bullish about John James. We're going to talk to him about how did he win his primary, What are the issues that real voters in Michigan care about? We'll ask him about the raid. We'll ask him about the failed withdrawal of Afghanistan a year ago. What are the pocketbook issues affecting everybody? John James, someone who almost knocked off Senator Gary Peters in an unexpectedly strong showing two years ago, back on the ballot in the fall, running for the new House 10 district in Michigan. A lot of people think that's going to trend Republican. A lot of people excited about John James. You're going to get to meet him and hear from him firsthand on this podcast. So we'll take a quick commercial break, ponder what we talked about about the raid. We'll come right back. First up, Ambassador Michael Oren, followed by combat veteran John James running for the House seat in Michigan. Two great guests back to back right after this. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. 
But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. You've been reading just the news. You know there's a lot of tension, a lot of history unfolding in the Middle East, Israel and Palestine, a, a, a truce in the Gaza, of course, the continuation of the Abraham Accords and peace breaking out in many different ways between Arab neighbors and Israel. This next guest is really one of the most brilliant people when it comes to security, diplomacy, the Middle East. And by the way, he's one heck of a writer, too. He's been doing some amazing novel and fiction books. He is the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, Michael Oren. Mr. Ambassador, good to have you back on the show. Always great to be with you, John, and, and Michael, please. Ah, absolutely. <laughs> Michael, please. I'm trained to call you Mr. Ambassador. I'll have to break that habit. <laughs> Let me start with a little bit of the news in America that probably people in Israel are talking about as well. Last night, the announcement that President Trump's home and office in Mar-a-Lago raided by the FBI in pursuit of some classified documents they believe might still be in his possession. Your thoughts and how how's Israel, how does someone on the outside looking in view this moment in American history? The Israelis have been fascinated by this. I was on the Israeli news about three, four times today, television and radio, uh, following this story. Um, and I think Israelis are interested in it because we're experiencing some of the same problems here. Um, the, the, the trials of, uh, of uh, former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, with a, good, with a large segment of the Israeli population, not the majority, but a significant segment of the population, feeling that he's being targeted by a corrupt legal system um, and, and unjustly um, um, pursued and, 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 and oppressed by this system. And so this has a certain resonance for Israelis who feel that, you know, the people in America may feel that Donald Trump is being uh, targeted uh, by the legal system. Uh, the question whether Donald Trump will be able to run again as president, there's big questions about whether Benjamin Netanyahu will be able to run again for prime minister. Uh, so a lot of parallels, Israelis are following it very closely. And, uh, and frankly, Donald Trump remains very popular here because of the, the great gestures that he did for the state of Israel, recognizing Jerusalem as our capital, recognizing uh, the Golan Heights uh, as uh, part of his under Israeli sovereignty, uh, being the architect of the Abraham Accords, and pulling out from the disastrous Iran deal of 2018, 2015. Yeah, no, there's a very special relationship between the former president and Israel. I think the affection goes both ways. It's, it's a very, very special relationship. When you look out, I mean, the last decade we've seen, obviously, as you mentioned, Prime Minister Netanyahu, we've had two former presidents of France convicted on corruption, a South Korea president convicted of corruption, and two other of its former presidents at least imprisoned. This dynamic of 
current party going after one of the rivals in the former party seems to be spreading across the globe in democracies, yet democracy lives on. Is this a trend line that would give people of democratic support and liberty concern, or is it just a sign of the times that we live in? I think deep concern. I think deep concern. I think uh, democracy as an idea is being challenged. You know, back in 1989, when Francis Fukuyama wrote that book, uh, The End of History, uh, he believed that the fall of the Berlin Wall was the end of a, of, of a great contest, whether, uh, con- whether communism, authoritarian government would, uh, would uh, surpass a liberal democracy as the most effective form of human governance. And it's true uh, for Francis Fukuyama said, no, the, the, the battle's over. Democracy won. And here we are, you know, 30 some odd years later, seeing that democracy is being challenged uh, by other systems, not the least of which is the Chinese system. Um, and um, what we see is, the, I say, believe is the great challenge of our day is the breakdown of public trust in institutions. Um, I just went back to the United States and I was with some, you know, some liberal uh, family members who were telling me how they've lost faith in the Supreme Court because of the Roe versus Wade uh, decision. Uh, you can go to a different part of the United States and hear faith, loss of faith in the FBI and, um, and in the justice system. Uh, and that's very just disconcerting. Uh, and we're experiencing things very, very similar in the state of Israel. Yeah, it really is remarkable. Now let's dial in on what's been going on in Israel. Really fascinating moment. There was a flare-up of violence. Then Israel and Palestine, Palestinian minutes made a truce over the weekend. Tell us what precipitated the violence, what was going on, and then why Hamas so quickly pulled back from the conflict. Well, I think if you find a core cause of it is that the Palestinians are incapable of governing themselves. We talk, you know, many people will talk about a two-state solution without ever asking the question whether the Palestinians are actually capable of sustaining a nation-state. Um, in Judea and Samaria, what's known in the world as the West Bank, you have the Palestinian Authority, uh, which is incapable of extending its sovereignty over, over the small area of the West Bank. And, and the president of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, won't stand for re-election. He's in the 17th year of a six-year term because he knows he's going to lose. So what's happened in the West Bank is that there are Palestinian cities like Janine that uh, have, have, have basically declared independence of the Palestinian Authority, and they've come under the aegis of Palestinian terrorist groups, particularly uh, Islamic Jihad. Islamic Jihad is based in Gaza. Ostensibly, since Israel's withdrawal from Gaza in 2005, Gaza has been under the control of Hamas, an Islamic extremist organization. Uh, but even Hamas can't control the small Gaza threat. So you have another Islamic extremist group, Islamic Jihad, which is challenging Hamas. Now, I guess it gets kind of complicated, and there won't be a quiz afterwards, John, I promise. But both <laughs> Hamas and Islamic Jihad are, contro- are controlled by Iran. That's and the Iran key, is isn't it? Fight Israel. it gets something. Iran, Iran's willing to fight Israel to the last Palestinian. So what happened was um, there were a number of terrorist attacks that came from Janine and sponsored by Islamic Jihad. 19 Israelis were killed. Uh, Israel sent its army. Uh, into Janine to fight the terrorists. Uh, it was during one of those bow- battles that day, a Palestinian, a Palestinian American journalist, um, Shireen Abu Akhla, uh, a reporter for Al Jazeera television was killed. And the world obsessed about this uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks. There have been 2,700 war correspondents killed in various conflicts around the world since 1990, but only on this one could the world become obsessed, uh, including the, the Biden administration, dealt with it again and again and again and many members of Congress, uh, true obsession. Um, but Islamic Jihad doesn't care a feather about Shireen Abu Akhla. What he did care about was the arrest of one of its leaders in Janine. And Islamic Jihad said to Israel, threatened, if you don't release the leader, we're gonna start shooting rockets at you. Israel didn't release the leader, and Islamic Jihad started sending rockets. They sent 1,200 rockets over the course of 55 hours. That's a lot of rockets. Unfortunately, we have the Iron Dome system, which proved 97% effective. Only four Israelis were, uh, were wounded slightly. Um, a number of Palestinians were killed, but apparently, according to our sources, most of the Palestinians were killed by Islamic Jihad rockets that fell short and landed on Palestinian neighborhoods. Uh, of course, they're trying to blame that, for, you know, blame, blame that on us at the UN, even as we're talking here. Um, now, why did Hamas let Islamic Jihad shoot like this? Well, one reason is that, hey, you know, it really can't stop them. But secondly, um, it was happy to see Islamic Jihad get a bloody nose. Islamic Jihad didn't mind getting bombed in Gaza as long as its prestige increased on the West Bank, and particularly in Jenin. And, and the Iranians, I believe, wanted to uh, up the ante in negotiations with the Europeans and the United States 
over the possible renewing of the 2000 renewal of the possible 2016 uh, Iran nuclear deal. One of the Iranians saying, but why the Iranians doing this, John? They're saying to the world, look, look at all the mischief we can cause just by giving a green light to our proxy terrorist group, Islamic Jihad. All right, imagine the mischief we can cause if we get an atomic weapon. And don't you want to pay us hundreds of billions of dollars not to do that? That's basically the message that's going on here. Very, very complex. Um, in Israel itself, the current prime minister, who's an interim prime minister, the European, was able to say and prove to the Israeli public, look, I managed this crisis. Um, Israel actually opened up the fighting, didn't wait for um, Islamic Jihad to fire first. It was going to fire first um, and, uh, and conducted a good operation. But the Israeli government didn't change the rules of the game. And I, I personally, as a citizen, have a little bit of a problem with that, John. I think that uh, we play by Iran's rules. Uh, Iran gets Islamic Jihad to fire at us. We fire back at Islamic Jihad. Uh, Palestinian civilians get killed. We get blamed as war criminals. I would really like to see a situation that every rocket that comes out of the border uh, made in Iran from Gaza, that the Israeli response would be to blow up an oil refinery on the Persian Gulf. I'd imagine the response then. Let me ask you this. There seems to be a little bit of division going on. They're both sponsored by Iran in some way, but Islamic Jihad, much more aggressive. Hamas not looking for a war at this moment. Is that an interesting schism? And have we seen it before in this dynamic? We see the funny all the time in Palestinian politics. It just fractures. And uh, even on the West Bank, there are you know several dozen different groups uh, competing with each other. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, is 85 years old. He's a three-day pack, three-pack three a day guy. Uh, <laughs> he hasn't chosen a successor. And uh, when he goes, not if he goes, when he goes, it's going to be a bloodbath. And my great fear is that we're going to find ourselves in the middle of it, as all these different groups begin to shoot at each other. Already beginning in Janine, they're already beginning. Um, and in in Gaza, also, it, it fractures. But it's very important for us, you know, as, as, as part of the Western civilization, not to judge these situations by Western terms. Um, I'll never forget, Mr. I was in charge of, of Gaza for the Israeli government for about a year and a half, and I wouldn't wish this on anybody. But I, I visited the, uh, the southern uh, command of what is our FBI, the Shabak, and they showed me a picture of a Hamas leader standing on top of a pile of rubble in Gaza after one of the wars, and he's making a peace sign. And the head of, the, uh, of our FBI asked me, what do you think? Is that a victory picture or a defeat picture? I said, it's a defeat picture. He's, sitting, he's standing on a pile of rubble. He said, no, it's a victory, a victory picture because as far as he's concerned, uh, the fact that he's still standing and giving the victory signs means he's won. You know, Israel you know, only has to, has to win every war, but Hamas only has to not lose every war. And to show that it's standing up. And, and for us in the West, that's like a, a real switch around. Um, to understand that uh, while 1,200 trucks from Israel enter the Gaza Strip every day to bring in everything, food, medicine, uh, construction materials, there's no shortage of anything. Hamas present, prevents three quarters of those trucks from getting in because it wants to have Israel blamed on the world for creating a humanitarian crisis in Gaza and wants the Gazans to blame Israel for the humanitarian crisis. Unbelievable and, you know, dynamic. It's a chess game every day. Willing to, start, willing to starve out its own people in order to make a political point. Um, yeah, we're not used to that in the Western world. That's hard for us to comprehend some days. <laughs> it's very hard. It's very hard. You have to just, basically, I, my recommendation to anybody dealing with the Palestinian situation is to just throw out every precondition you know, preconceived notion you know. Uh, about human behavior and about good governance, because it, it just doesn't hold. It doesn't hold. Um, during the COVID uh, uh, epidemic, uh, the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, right, uh, wouldn't let Palestinians there get Israeli vaccines. They preferred to see them die of COVID. America can be a great asset in these sort of moments of strife. They can also be difficult if we're murky and weak. Your assessment of the Biden administration's approach to policy in the Middle East, specifically Israel, and then, of course, these negotiations with Iran. It's odd to be negotiating with Iran and watching Iran every day act out in a very negative way. How does this get viewed in the region? Well, we recently hosted uh, President Biden here. I was part of the Israeli hosting uh, delegation. I was glad to see him. Uh, he had some very important messaging, particularly for his own party. I mean, he got off the plane and said, I'm a Zionist. Uh, and I'm sure there were, you know, some progressives in Congress were squirming in their seats when they heard that one. 
Um, and he assured us that of continuing support, you know, bipartisan support for Israel in, in the United States. All that was very good to hear. He reaffirmed America's support for, for Israeli security. Uh, the only problem is that on one hand, there, you know, the administration is reassuring us of its commitment to our security. On the other hand, it's undermining our security by seeking a renewed JCPOA, uh, an Iran nuclear deal, which we regard as the greatest strategic threat facing Israel and facing the entire region, in fact. So it's, it's giving with one hand and taking away with the other. And I think that's one of the reasons that uh, the president received such a very cool reception uh, in Saudi Arabia and other areas of the Gulf, because um, they don't want to play that game. We have many other commonalities with the United States. We, we share democratic values. We share history. Um, we share a deep affinity between the people. In the Gulf, you know, they don't necessarily have those those pillars of those defense, what they have is, is, is security, security, security. And they feel the United States is undermining their security. It's a remarkable dynamic. And meanwhile, the Arab neighbors that used to be in conflict years ago with Israel just seem to be moving closer and closer together. Saudi Arabia didn't sign the Abraham Accords yet, but allowing flyovers of the kingdom by Israeli airlines, that has to be a really good sign for the region. Tell us about the warming of relations. Well, the, Saudi Arabia hasn't signed, but I guarantee you that the Bahrainis and the Amiratis would not have signed without getting a green light from Saudi Arabia. And there are a number of Israeli businessmen who are doing business, who are working in Saudi Arabia now. They have usually have more than one passport. Um, and, and I think that eventually Saudi Arabia, in one way or another, will join the Abraham Accords, as will other Arab countries. Um, again, we have the United States to thank for this. Uh, yes, uh, President Trump and his administration, who were the architects of this agreement, they, they husband this agreement through. Um, but again, it is strange where you have to thank President Obama, because uh, President Obama set out to bring Arabs and Jews closer together uh, through peace. Uh, he succeeded just not through peace. He succeeded through common opposition to his policies. Uh, Funny how that works that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really, uh, thank you. Uh, brought us all together. We wish we could have done it uh, in, under different circumstances. I think that the, 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 the Gulf Arabs in particular are, are fed up with the Palestinians. The Palestinians hold the world record for people who have been offered a two-state solution and have turned it down most frequently with, with, by violence. This is going back to the 1930s. That's not from yesterday. And they're fed up and they, they want to move ahead. They understand that Israel is an ally, not just not an entity, but an ally, an ally against Iran. An ally also against Sunni extremism, against the Muslim Brotherhood and those who back the Muslim Brotherhood. They're, they're really between you know, a rock and a hard place. They're facing dual enemies. We, we're, there, we're here to help defend this region. And not that, we offer modernity. We offer technology. We offer everything they want and need. And they're just not going to let the Palestinians stand in their way anymore. You know, they're happy to see if there's a, a solution for Palestinians, uh, the Palestinian situation, the conflict. They're happy to see it. But they're just not going to give the Palestinians a veto anymore. It's not going to happen. Yeah, they've worn out the welcome. There's no doubt about it. I want to talk about Benjamin Netanyahu. It certainly looks like the climate is conducive for a political comeback, which would be pretty remarkable, pretty quick comeback. Your thoughts on his future and what could happen in this next upcoming election? Well, I have uh, have heard for years that Netanyahu Bibi is finished. This is his last uh, his last rodeo. And I always say in response, it is always premature to eulogize Mr. Netanyahu politically. Just when you think he's gone, he's coming back. And now he's coming back. Uh, according to the polls last night, he's significantly in the lead to be the next prime minister of Israel. The, the uh, next election is to be held on November 1st. Um, and uh, even the, the, I think the, the admiral performance of uh, interim prime minister Yerlapid during the recent conflict has not given him much of a bump uh, politically, maybe a single seat. Uh, in Knesset, out of 120 seats, he. Um, the fact of the matter is, you either love Netanyahu or you don't love Netanyahu. I, I live in a, in a largely working-class neighborhood of, of South Tel Aviv, and you can't say any word, a bad word about Benjamin Netanyahu. Yeah, no, he's very popular no there, right? No way. And uh, and uh, and frankly, he's a person of, of extraordinary talents and and one of the few readily recognizable leaders in the world. How many people in, in your leadership would you know, know who the, you know, the prime minister of Belgium is or the prime minister, even of, of the president of France? I mean, everyone knows the name of Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, one of the maybe three or four leaders in the world who, who was definitely recognized as international uh, profile and deservedly so. And so um, my guess is, my gut feeling is we're headed to some type of unity government in November. Um, both Netanyahu and Lapid in their statements after the conflict with Gaza um, kind of praise one another. 
which was uh, unusual for Israeli politics. It is and, I mean, a rare moment for American politics. And my sense that they are laying the groundwork for some type of unity government that would uh, serve to keep some of the more radical elements out, both on the right and the left. We have radical left and we have radical right in this country. Um, and I think that both these gentlemen would like to keep them out of the coalition. It was an amazing moment to acknowledge each other. And I think also Israelis have had, what well, this will be the fourth election in five years. Am I doing the math right or is it five and four years? <laughs> I think it's five and four. Five and four, yeah. Uh, they probably are tired of elections now, right? They're like, hey, let's get this thing right this time. Is it, you know, I, we have very intelligent uh, cab drivers. You want to understand politics in this country, you've got to talk to the cab drivers. And, <laughs> Isn't that uh, brilliant? I, I had one today. It's, it's just amazing. They're, they, cause they're listening to the news all day. Of course. And it's, it's respect. And it's a, very, it's a highly respected position in this country. And um, it's... Uh, and my cab drivers have said to me again and again, listen, we love Bibi, we don't love Bibi, it doesn't matter, what we want is stability. And we're, we're, there are a lot of problems in this country. There's a, a, the cost of living is off the charts. I'm, I'm talking from Tel Aviv, the most expensive city on the earth, okay? We are not proud of that, of that, uh, of that, uh, of that role in the world. And um, we've got to get down. You know, we have a, a, we have a booming economy. We've come very back, we've come very swiftly back in COVID, uh, a very positive uh, growth rate, economically our um, per capita GDP has passed Japan um, past Italy we're closing in on Germany and yet people people can't afford to live here um, the housing costs are literally through the roof and uh, our our shopping basket is one is either the, the most expensive in the world or, or we're buying with Japan and uh, that's so unfortunate and and people I have you know I have children who have are all in the professions but they they, if they say in Hebrew you can't close the month and um, and it, it's very difficult. So that is the major issue that Israelis face. Um, you'd think that the major thing facing us would be the Palestinian issue. Uh, I look at the political surveys and the Palestinian issue, believe it or not, is the issue which comes in dead last. What uh, is really, yeah, dead last. What Israelis care about are housing prices, food prices, you know, car, education, infrastructure. We have terrible uh, traffic jams here. We have four times the traffic density of the United States, which costs us billions of dollars every year in loss of productivity. Um, And uh, if you have to work in time, get to work, period. And uh, no, these are the problems we face. And, um, you know, uh, large segments of the population, whether it be the Bedouin in the South or or even the ultra-Orthodox population who, you know, don't, aren't part of the tax base, uh, they can build illegally. These are the problems we face. Uh, the Palestinians come in dead last. It's just amazing to think of that. Uh, the, the perception in America would be just the opposite, but that tells us something. Just uh, the opposite. Yeah, nation of prosperity, nation of in, enormous innovation, but the cost of living is getting in the way of some of that success. That's something, a dynamic we're going to have to watch. we got about a minute left. I want to ask you about something, because one of my favorite short story books of all time is your great work called The Night Archer. But you've got another book coming out. Tell us what's coming down the pike in a few weeks. I understand The Swan's War, right? Swan's War. I'm, I'm delighted to talk about it. I hope to talk about it as it comes out closer to the pub date, which is in October. This is a, it's a whodunit. And I gotta say, I it's it. really hard to write, really hard to write. One of the most difficult things to write I've ever had to do. It's set on an, an imaginary island off the coast of Massachusetts in the year 1944. Uh, it's a story about a, a policewoman from South Boston her name is Mary Beth Swan, hence the title, uh, Swan's War. And uh, she marries the police captain of this island, Archibald Swan, and he goes off to war. He goes off from the Marines to fight in the South Pacific and uh, leaves her in charge of the island, which would be difficult enough because, you know, she's a, an Irish girl from Boston and, you know, these, these maritime salts are tough on her. They don't like her. She's, a, she's an outsider. But what's worse is there are 90 Italian prisoners of war who have been placed on a in, in a prisoner of war camp on the island. They work as they did in World War II, it's true. They let them out, they needed them to, to be fishermen and farmers, and one by one, they are being murdered. And so Mary Beth Swan, alone on this island, has to find out who is murdering the Italians. And um, wow. <laughs> I love it. Listen, everybody loves a good mystery thriller. 
Uh, it's a mystery. It sounds amazing. Yeah, I don't know where you find the time with all the things you do to also write such epically good literature. I mean, these are great books. Night Archer, one of the greatest collections of short stories I've ever seen done. It really stretches not only the imagination, but your thought. And uh, now a mystery thriller for this son of an Irish cop. I'll be buying that. I guarantee you that. You'll, I love oh, you'll love this. I'm the in. Daughter and the granddaughter, <laughs> granddaughter of Irish cops. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. We're going to love it here in America. Mr. Ambassador, it is always an honor to have you show you make sense of a very turbulent world, and we're grateful for your time today. So a pleasure. Take care, John. Thank you, sir, as well. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to go over to Michigan, where we're going to talk to the great new minted Republican House candidate, John James, right after this. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale. Four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. I've been covering politics for about 35 years, and this, unlike any year, maybe since 1994, people are talking about the quality of candidates that Republicans are putting into position to win in the fall, a really strong suite of candidates, great backgrounds, great energy, great vision for the country. And you don't have to look any further than the great state of Michigan to see that one of the names that comes up all the time when you talk about Michigan. John James, he ran for a Senate a couple years ago, narrowly lost. He's on the ballot this time for the 10th Congressional District in the U.S. House in Michigan, and he's joining us now. John, great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to chatting with the folks today. Well, we're having a lot of fun. This is a great moment in election history, a lot of excitement. You bring all this military background as an Army Ranger. You served in Operation Iraqi Freedom, get into politics. It seems like this is the year Republicans are going to have a pretty strong wave. What are you seeing on the ground as you talk to constituents? What I'm seeing on the ground is people don't give a rip about what party you're from. They're looking at people who can bring the best solutions. And uh, I think that puts us at a distinct advantage to communicate with folks because, uh, um, because I have experience in the real world. Uh, I think relevant experience is, is what matters, and we're seeing how critical that is uh, when we put, uh, when we leave politicians in charge of, of making life decisions for us. Um, we see um, uh, when, when we have uh, failures that are uh, at this administration that are, that are crippling our economy, uh, that, that's threatening our standing uh, globally. 
these are things that we need to send people who understand what it's like in business, understand what it's like to create jobs because they've done it in the real world and, and what it's like and what it takes to, uh, to protect American jobs, what it takes to, uh, to grow companies because they've done it before. Uh, having that experience uh, is, is critical to my district, Michigan's newly drawn 10th Congressional District. I believe it's critical to our state, state of Michigan, and the country. I'm looking forward to bringing my experience, my energy uh, to bear, because uh, we're, we're in desperate need of, of clear-eyed uh, moral leadership to take our country to the next level. I think that's what people want. They want candidates that say what they mean and mean what they say. And I think the last few years, particularly in Michigan, a lot of frustration with the ruling class there. What are the issues on the ground that when you're out with constituents that they have the greatest frustration with, whether it's with Whitmer, the Senate, the Congress? What are the things that are moving the electorate right now? I'll tell you what, um, people in Michigan, particularly with the way that our governor botched uh, the uh, handling of COVID, um, freedom is on the ballot. Uh, never before did I ever think that we would have to campaign on freedom, but we are. Um, conservatives are campaigning on, on having government uh, that, that leaves you alone. Uh, I mean, the, the very basics, limited government, uh, uh, lowering taxes. Uh, these are the types of things that people really care about. Uh, and Democrats are the exact opposite. This top-down, uh, centralized approach uh, is more akin to what we would see coming out of Beijing and Moscow than what we should see out of D.C., uh, the, the Democrat left, whether it's in Lansing uh, right now in the state of Michigan or in D.C., uh, are, are hellbent on, on taking freedom away uh, uh, from, from the people. And I, for one, uh, from, from lessons of, of human nature and world history, know that um, a government that doesn't trust its people shouldn't be trusted. We need to make sure that uh, we do everything we can to put power back into the hands of the people. Uh, we represent the people. And, and we make sure that we uh, allow them to live their lives most uh, prosperously and, and most free. Uh, I think the way we do that is, uh, is to make sure that we, we strengthen our economy. Uh, we do things to help make our families safer. We, we help our schools get better and stronger. We, we absolutely have to take care of our environment. In Michigan being a great lake state, we have to make sure we have clean water. And we have to end corruption uh, in our district, in our state, and in D.C. Um, I believe that the former president said it best when he said drain the swamp. There's still... Uh, swamp creatures down in D.C., and I'm looking forward to uh, to making sure that we hold these unelected bureaucrats accountable uh, to the people. Yeah, the swamp is still alive and well. You're 100% right, living right in the middle of it. There was this moment yesterday, speaking of the former president, President Donald Trump, his home and office raided in Florida. A lot of questions about what the FBI was up to. Why now? Is this just the Biden administration going after its potential future appointment in 2024? You served in the military. You believe in the goodness of this country. Your reaction to what happened yesterday? I've said for quite some time that executive overreach is, uh, is out of control in D.C. Um, so, so here's a question for you. This is one thing that, that I, I really struggle with. There, there are 435 people in the House of Representatives. There are 100 people in the Senate, and we have... Um, of uh, a president. And so you have 536, count vice president, okay, 537, uh, in Washington who are elected, who are sent there by the people. Yet the area around D.C. has over a million people and it's growing. So you have over a million unelected people who are there. And I ask, what are they doing? They're making laws. They're, they're coming up with ways to justify their own existences. And this, this massive, this, this massive uh, um, uh, unelected bureaucracy is, is running roughshod over the American people. They're circumventing Congress, and they're making life more difficult uh, for American people, whether you're a farmer, whether you're a, a, a steel worker. Um, we absolutely must have safety and security. But I believe in limited government, and under no circumstances should this government be weaponized to, to execute on, on political ends. The American people have to be able to trust their agencies to work in their best interest. And right now there's doubt amongst the people of, of both parties that the government is capable of doing anything of the sort. So uh, I'm looking forward to when I get to Congress, uh, making sure that we bring uh, the bureaucracy to heal and to account to the American people. Because what the American people on both sides right now are looking at is, uh, is an executive uh, overreach that has gone out of control and must absolutely be held accountable to the people. Yeah, and the Democrats are doubling down on that executive overreach, on that growth of government. 
Brand new bill, $740 billion of new taxes, new spending, and 87,000 new IRS agents. Your thoughts about what the Senate did this past week in, in passing that bill? We don't need more IRS agents. We need less regulation. We need less taxes. Uh, we need less government, not more. Uh, look, the, the Biden administration has been in charge for a little bit over a year and a half, and look how much damage they've done, not just domestically to our small businesses, not, not just, not just uh, globally to, to our allies that, that believe that, they, that we can no longer be trusted and, and, our, and our enemies who are emboldened. Uh, but, but look at the damage they've done in 18 months. Uh, the the 87,000 87, more IRS agents. Look, there are only a few hundred billionaires, a few hundred billionaires in, in the country. Who do we think these 87,000 new agents are going to be audited? <laughs> Not going to be those billionaires. No, they don't it's need going more to for that. Us. They are coming after us. And, and, and we, are, we, are, we are wantonly, wantonly, um, remaining ignorant if we think that Joe Biden wants 87,000 more IRS agents to just go after businesses. They're already doing that. And, and so they're coming after us. They want your money. They, 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 that's what they're doing. You can fill, you could sell out Ford Field, a capacity of 65,000. You could sell out at the same time uh, Little Caesars Arena in Detroit uh, uh, to capacity and still have a couple thousand seats left over for all the IRS agents that they are putting in Washington. We don't need more unelected bureaucrats in Washington. We need less uh, unelected bureaucrats in Washington. We need to streamline what goes on. We need to have direct accountability with our government and we lose it when this administration and Democrats are content with taking our rights and outsourcing them uh, to, to people who are not accountable to us. That's wrong. Yeah, such an amazing dynamic to see what's going on. And it seems like the Democrats aren't reading or listening to the American people. They don't care because they don't care because they don't care. Yeah. That, that's exactly the point. They, they are going to dictate to us what they want. You know, um, uh, the, 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 the gas price is too high. You can't afford four and five and six dollar gas. That's okay, right, Democrats? You can just buy a $60,000 EV. Oh, you can't afford a $60,000 EV? We'll give you a $7,500 tax credit for the EV. Oh, but wait, because we don't understand how business works in the automotive industry, 70% of the automotives that are automobiles that qualify wouldn't, wouldn't work. The, 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 the tax credits wouldn't qualify for 70% of the domestic automakers because we, we're about to trade our dependence on, on Saudi oil for dependence on Chinese batteries. These people have no idea what's going on because they don't care. They have decided that they've already wanted to go toward batteries. They've decided that they've already gone for this Green New Deal agenda. And if you're not on board your enemy, you're wrong. You're bad. You're deplorable. Well, we reject that out of hand. We must have an all-of-the-above energy approach that harnesses the great energy independence that we already have in this nation while also planning forward for the future where we have a cleaner uh, uh, and more economical uh, solutions. They don't care about what you think, and if you don't get on board, they consider you the enemy, they consider you bad, and they need to get it right. They need to get it right is that we, the people who control this thing and not the governing liberal elite. You fought overseas. You did hundreds of hours of combat missions, oversaw an Apache squadron. You fought for freedom. And now we live in an era since that service where dissent is being crushed, where if you don't go along with the elitist storyline, you're censored, you're ostracized, you, you may be pursued for uh, criminal charges or civil charges. All that sacrifice you and your colleagues made in the war, did, is this the America they were hoping they would end up with when they were done? Well, I can't speak for, uh, for all of them. I can just speak for myself, and I can just tell you, like, like we kind of let off this segment, um, I, I, I thought that I would be fighting for, for uh, um, shortening and, and broadening the pathway to prosperity for folks on our forgotten farms and neglected neighborhoods all over the country. I thought that I would be fighting for, so that our children uh, would not be, uh, their outcomes would not be determined by their zip code, making sure we have better school. I, I thought that I would be fighting for 
making sure that we end gun violence, that we secure our borders, and that we we uh, we make our our our, uh, our neighborhoods safer. But after coming back from Iraq, I, I find myself literally fighting for freedom again. But you know what? That's okay, because I swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and what, John, domestic. And the greatest enemy that we face is the specter of communism that has infiltrated our, our, our neighborhoods, our campuses, our cities, our minds, and that is the real threat. The, 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 the threat of communism uh, uh, emanating from, from Beijing and from Moscow is not strictly territorial, it's ideological. And this thought that the government is meant to fix every single one of our problems, the expectation that you've even seen on the right, that we can spend our way out of inflation, that we can spend our way out of these problems, that the federal government has something that, we can, that, that they can fix that the American people can't. That is what we're fighting against, that wrong ideology, that we are not created in the Lord's image, and that we are more than conquerors and we have him behind us. We have the ability to do all these things through Christ. But more importantly, more importantly, I believe that when we have the right leadership who believes in us, that will help us achieve greatness, that's what we need. Communism is, is a cancer, and it's metastasizing within this country. And we all must speak the truth, that the government in itself is not the solution. It is a method that the people use in order to achieve a, a greater society for the future. And so that is what we're doing. We're fighting for freedom because freedom works. Self-determination works. And I believe in the people, not the government. Yeah, and that's what our founding fathers did. In fact, our founding fathers feared the very moment, I think, that we're in now where the big central government would be dictating every aspect of our life and we're scrapping to get that freedom back. I want to turn to a place where you... You went to West Point. You became a Ranger-qualified aviation officer. You probably didn't experience the things that some of the recruits today are seeing inside West Point. Your thought on this woke agenda that seems to be inserted into the military right now, good or bad for the country? Well, I'll tell you, anything that distracts from um, of fighting and winning our nation's wars, uh, I, I think it, it is bad for the nation and bad for unit cohesion. Um, when I was at West Point uh, and when many of my mentors were at West Point, frankly, we were taught the exact opposite. We were taught that the only color that mattered was green, uh, is the color of our uniforms. The only color that mattered uh, uh, was, was the, the way that we were the same. Um, now, we know that we all have differences. There's differences between men and women. There's differences between gay and straight. There's differences between black and white. But when you're fighting uh, in a volunteer military, when, when you're fighting for a nation as strong and diverse as the United States, then you need to focus on the things that unite us, the things that, that we all believe in, uh, the e equality, freedom, justice for all, uh, and, and not necessarily the things that separate us. I, I think it, it threatens uh, unit cohesion. I think it threatens, uh, frankly, recruitment. Uh, uh, that's a, that's a, uh, a threat right now. Uh, recruitment down, right? Uh, I think it, it threatens when you when you come in and you're walking into a, a military uh, where um, there is otherism. There is uh, there is this, this separation by things that are superficial. I think the military has been great for so many uh, uh, for so many decades, a couple of centuries now, a few centuries now. Because uh, the, the military has been great at focusing on what matters, um, bringing uh, young men and women together to accomplish tough and dangerous missions. And, and that's what I did in combat. I, I graduated from West Point in 2004. I became a Ranger qualified Apache pilot. And I had the honor of flying 750 hours combat in Operation Iraqi Freedom with some of the best and most highly qualified uh, people uh, in the world. Uh, we were um, flying combat missions to keep uh, civilians safe on the ground or to make sure that American soldiers got back home safely. Um, it was an honor to serve. And uh, not one time did when someone called me asking for support on the ground, did they ask if I were black? Not, not one time did they ask if, if I were straight. Not one time did they ask if I were Christian. It didn't matter. It, what mattered is, was I trained? Was I focused? Was I good at my job? Was I going to do every single thing I could to protect my brother and my sister to my left and my right? Could they trust me with their family? And, and that's what mattered. Um, I think that anything that distracts from the focus of the purpose and the mission of the United States military, 
Uh, I, I think it hurts. Uh, and, and of course, uh, we need to pay respect and homage uh, for, uh, for our, our heritages and our ethnicities. But the thing that matters the most is not black or white or yellow, but red, white, and blue. And when we get away from that, that's when we start getting into trouble. Yeah, and it's exactly what our enemies want us to focus on, right? They want us to focus on division so we can't be united to win the great struggles we have ahead of us. As you look out now, there's a very clear group running for all the open races in Michigan. One of the stronger slates, I think, that Michigan has produced on the Republican side. While how excited are you for the entire ticket that Republicans have put together from Tudor Dixon on down? Well, uh, you know, I'm very excited uh, for Republicans' prospects uh, here um, for the state of Michigan because we've just just, um, gone through a, a very tough few years. Uh, under the, the misguided leftist uh, agenda, from from COVID to elections to to uh, to, to uh, population decline uh, to economic uh, struggles, uh, we need to get uh, conservative leadership to the front. And I, I'm so excited uh, to be a part of, uh, of of a team and a class that uh, is going to uh, take Michigan to the next level. I'm really focused on uh, on bringing my skill sets to bear uh, to really uh, help in, in my newly drawn 10th congressional district. Uh, which comprises the southern portion of Macomb County and uh, Rochester, Rochester Hills. Uh, this is an area that's super important, uh, not just uh, not just for the state, but for the nation. Uh, when you consider that this will be the number one manufacturing district in the country, and uh, have Selfridge Air National Guard Base and uh, and uh, the arsenal of democracy uh, in the same district for the very first time, um, having a combat veteran, uh, having a supply chain business leader. Uh, representing uh, this district in Washington, I believe, can be a game changer um, for the good folks in this district and, uh, and, and for the role that we must play in uh, making our nation economically uh, strong and, and militarily strong into the future. Yeah, when I was a young political reporter, we would go to Macomb County because that was like the bellwether of America. As Macomb would vote, you kind of knew the rest of the country was thinking the same way. It was one of those great bellwethers. There's clearly a thought across this country that we are on the wrong course, whether it's economically or security. As you look out at the way we exited Afghanistan and the way that we're trying to negotiate with Iran while Iran continues to carry out terror attacks all over the globe every day, what do you think everyday Americans think about our standing in the world right now? Uh, I think that most everyday Americans are are thinking about uh, putting food on the table. I think everyday Americans are thinking about um, how how uh, poorly this administration has run this nation such that uh, their uh, folks are, are trying to figure out whether they fill their gas tank or they fill their grocery cart. I think what most Americans are talking about is uh, going back to school in the next couple of weeks. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Both kids are going to be going back to school. I, I, I think that most Americans are talking about going back to school and, and wondering if they're going to have enough for school supplies or if their kids are going to be getting CRT or uh, reading, writing, and, and, uh, and, uh, and arithmetic. Uh, I, I think that... Um, that's what most folks are, are, are talking about. But again, to your point, we are a nation at war, whether folks want to believe that or not. Uh, we, are a nation, uh, we are a nation where our, our, um, because of this administration's botched retreat from Afghanistan, um, our, our, our enemies are emboldened and our allies are confused. Uh, we are a nation that uh, I just went to a going away party for a young man who's going to be uh, deployed to Iraq for the next year, Iraq, right? So we still have presences all over. Uh, I have friends uh, who are officers uh, who are stationed over in Poland, right? Right now on the, uh, on the, on the other border uh, in, in case uh, Russia starts getting, uh, getting a little bit squirrely over there. So uh, we have men and women out there in harm's way. And if any of you are listening to this podcast, I wanna say thank you for your service, brothers and sisters, God bless you. And if you are veterans and have served, thank you for your service, God bless you. And uh, if you're a Vietnam veteran and you're and you're listening, welcome home. Yeah, those are important words. And we need to extend them to you, too, sir, because you served this country bravely. And now you're bringing all that experience into politics, which I think most Americans love to see that. Last question for you. You ran a couple of times for Senate. You nearly pulled off. I think would have been one of the greatest upsets in politics, almost knocking off Gary Peters. You've learned a lot on the campaign trail. What's been the biggest lesson for you as you become a more experienced campaign? What are some of the biggest lessons you learned? I would say the biggest lesson is, is, is don't run uh, during a global pandemic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good rule. Uh, I mean, who, who could have seen that coming? Exactly. Uh, well, I, I, I would say that um, 
it really wouldn't be a lesson learned as much as uh, I'm really, really looking forward to getting out there uh, and, and having to run in a pandemic. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out there, knocking on the doors, having uh, uh, having uh, tea parties with the uh, with the uh, with the with the ladies, the the older ladies in uh, in the neighborhoods, having barbecues uh, and, and shaking people's hands, uh, listening to their concerns, and really engaging on a personal level. Um, the uh, Democrats shut down our state. They shut down our state. And, and, and after growing up in the church, I, I, we'd read Revelation and we'd study the Word. And never in my lifetime did I ever think that it would be illegal to go to church. But Gretchen Whitmer made it illegal to go to church in the state of Michigan. Uh, and we, we shouldn't forget that. Um, so uh, I, I'm looking forward to really engaging with people because I, I, I know that if people could have hurt me, if they could have engaged with me, if they could have looked me in the eye and knew that not only did I have the experience to lead effectively and represent them well in the Senate, but I also cared about them personally, that I am tremendously blessed and I know that I have an obligation, not an option to be a blessing to others. And I'm just so excited that I have that opportunity to engage with people on a personal level, meet them where they are right now, bridge those gaps and bring that unity, bring that leadership uh, that people are so desperate for right now. So I'm, I'm a servant. Uh, I'm here to serve. And uh, if folks like to learn a little bit more about the campaign and maybe even help please uh, go to johnjamesmi.com. Thanks a lot. That's a really easy one to remember. John James MI. When I've talked to people who have come in contact with me, John, just got to share this. They say that your enthusiasm for America is infectious. And in an era where a lot of people talk America down, I know a lot of people are excited to see a candidate who loves this country. It can spread that love to the other people, motivate other people to pitch it and get this country going. So congratulations on that. We look forward to the fall election. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. God bless you. You as well, sir. Thanks for the time today. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. So glad you can join us today. A big thanks to our guests, Ambassador Ron Dermer and, of course, John James from Michigan. Two people who had a lot to say, have a lot of expertise on the ground in Israel, in America, about what real voters, real people are thinking. Great interviews, grateful for their time today. They both were gracious with their time. Now, before we go, I know a lot of you are reading the headlines. You're worried about the stock market. You're worried about the worldwide farming crisis. You hear of these warnings for the UN and others that we're going to have a food crisis in the world Anything that happens in the world can always trickle down into this great United States of America. And while we got great farmers, great system, you've seen the problems of the supply chain. You've seen the problems that we've had with baby formula and other failures since Joe Biden took over. One of the best things experts say you can do is create a four-week supply of food for you. Keep it on hand. Have that peace of mind so you never have to worry about it. Well, guess what? My good friends at My Patriot Supply, one of the most trusted supply houses in the world, they're going to allow you a $50 savings. They're going to give you a $50 savings on a four-week emergency food kit. When you go to this URL, check this out. I got my own URL, preparewithsolomon.com. That's preparewithsolomon.com. They have a special offer there for you. You're going to save 50 bucks on a four-week emergency food kit for you and your family. This kit contains enough meals for four solid weeks per person with more than 2,000 calories a day for sustainable energy. That is the perfect scenario that experts say you need to prepare for the future. Find this special offer at this incredible URL. My good friends at Patriot Supply were willing to set up. It's called preparewithsolomon.com. I love it. 
Do it today before it's too late. One more time, preparewithsolomon.com. Thanks to my good friends at My Patriot Supply for all they're doing to make all of us in the United States a little bit better prepared. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. Check us out tonight. We've got a great show on the television show, Just the News, Not Noise. Lou Dobbs is joining us. Alan Dershowitz is joining us. Liz Harrington, the spokeswoman for the president. And, of course, Blake Masters, the Arizona Republican Senate nominee, the winner of last week's big election in Arizona, Trump endorsed. Great lineup, back to back to back tonight, 6 p.m. on Real America's Voice. Check us out. All right, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. Have a great night. God bless you. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. And in between, while you're waiting, if you have a hankering for news, you know what to do. Go to justthenews.com 24-7. We got you covered. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.